Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcasts from sunny Southern California. This show uh, you can hear on Sirius XM 217-203. You can download the podcast. Wherever you download podcasts, you can hit us up on our Facebook page, on my IG page, or, of course, old school Twitter, at Gottlieb Show. Facebook is the Doug Gottlieb Show. A lot of different ways to get a hold of us. Sometimes we give out the phone numbers most time. Um, we just, just let us do what we do. That's that's basically it. Charlie Weiss is going to join us 25 after the hour. We'll get his thoughts on the Patriots debacle in Buffalo We'll get his thoughts on the end of the Cowboys game. A guy who has coached at uh, at every level and a guy who's an absolute savant for the offensive side. And we're going to ask him about last night's pathetic performance by the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, I do want to give full credit to Matt Stafford. Right? What, what is that uh, message that Rob Parker always puts out Right when he gets an I told you so? It's so quiet you can hear a mouse urinating on Rob Parker's take about Matt Stafford. Say what you want about Stafford and how he didn't have to do a ton because the defense was so dominant. What he did have to do, play great. Play great. Delivered the football on time, in rhythm. He was the better of the two quarterbacks. Um, so, look, now the Rams take on Tampa. Now we have a true Final Four in each conference. And truth be told, you got about as close to the four best teams as you could possibly get. Complain all you want about playoffs or whatever. The the Niners, if you hadn't paid attention, once the Niners got healthy and Nick Bosa got healthier, and I don't know Nick Bosa's status for this weekend, but most people thought that Cowboys kind of in that realm. Other team I truly believe would be Chargers or Browns or Ravens, right? Those are the other ones for the AFC instead of maybe the Bengals. Right, those are the those are the, we got the best teams playing. It's gonna be a great weekend in football. But let's look at the dearly departed, right? The Cardinals weren't bad last night. Don't let anybody tell you they're bad last night. They were horrific. They were embarrassing, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Now, what you'll hear is what was sent to me by uh, Jason Stewart, something I had seen, which is, well, look at Cliff's teams and how they finish and they struggle to finish. First, if, if you're going to use Texas Tech stats that they finished poorly down the stretch during his years at Tech, okay, you're, you're being completely and totally disingenuous on every level comparing the two. Because if you're going to compare how a team finished that in college football with him as a head coach, specifically at Texas Tech, I didn't see anyone, now a single person go, look at Urban Meyer and how his teams finished every year when he was at Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio State, right? No one did that. You make unfair arguments. And if we've learned anything from Cliff Kingsbury and that experiment, to Urban Meyer, to Nick Saban, to Bob Petrino, 
to Lou Holtz, you name it, the the prerequisite for being a head coach in the NFL is not success in college football. It's just not. Matter of fact, I could make the case, and I actually will here, that you're better off preparing yourself for being a head coach in the NFL at a Texas Tech job instead of a Texas. Because it, when you're at Texas, when you're at Alabama, when you're at Florida, when you're at Ohio State, when you're at Notre Dame, when you're at one of these big boys' schools, and granted, Petrino at that point in time had not been. He was at Louisville right before he got to be the head coach at uh, the first time around at Louisville uh, before he got the head coach at the Atlanta Falcons. But for the most part, when you're at a school like that, you have better players than everybody else. Whereas when you're at Texas Tech, you don't have as good of players. So you kind of got to figure it out. If, if anything, you might have a better player or two. He had Pat Mahomes. He's had other guys as well. Johnny Manziel when he's at AM. But you don't have better players, which is more like what the NFL is, more like what the Cardinals are. And you actually have to coach. You have to, have to figure out, like, what do I do with, how can I get more out of less? So I'm, I'm anyone who wants to, if you want to start the argument with Cliff Kingsbury saying Texas Tech, I've stopped listening to you. You've invalidated your argument. Okay. Second thing. Second thing. Are we going to be honest about where the Cardinals were before he got there? All right. Are we going to be honest in any way? Because if we are, we'll realize they were an abject disaster. Abject disaster. Now, again, I'm not a Cliff Kingsbury wonk. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's the greatest coach on earth. But if we're sitting there, we're going to go, well, look at how his team's finished. Okay. Um, Bruce Arians was there. When they had Carson Palmer, they won 13 games. And then Carson Palmer started to get older. He did have another injury. They were 7-8 and eight and 8-8. Eight and eight, And they started to flounder. And eventually... Arians retired, if you remember. Bruce Arians is now the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, retired with the Arizona Cardinals. They hired um, a coach who, in Steve Wilkes, who had never been a head coach before. He played Josh Rosen. Their offensive line was an abject disaster. They won three games. They, they, they did something that teams don't do. They admitted a mistake, not just hiring Wilkes, but drafting Josh Rosen. Both were gone in less than a calendar year. And Cliff Kingsbury was inserted with a rookie quarterback rebuilding an entire franchise. They won five games. Now you can sit here and say, well, they floundered at the end of the season. No, they just weren't that good. Year two, they won eight games, but do you, you know what the stats say? The stats say they floundered at the end of the season because they ended up losing five of their last seven games. Are we going to point out the fact that Kyler Murray was hurt at the end of the season? Right? That every team, even an average team, which they end up being at eight and eight, if you lose your starting quarterback, again, go back and track all these teams in the playoffs and all these, by and large, you make the playoffs if your quarterback is the same day one as he is after week 18. Lastly, 
if you want to point out this year and say, look how they floundered down the stretch when they won 11 games. One, you might want to give them credit for how they started. Two, can we point out the fact that DeAndre Hopkins got hurt and there's a direct correlation between their success or lack thereof and when they didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, who by many people's estimation is not only one of the best wide receivers in the league, but their whole offense is kind of built behind around Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not going to sit here and argue with the real NFL guys that, that tell you about their past concepts, how they're rudimentary. Okay. None of that stuff. I'm not going to sit there and, and have that, that senseless discussion. If, if guys want to tell me that they need to evolve, I mean, they did some, right? If you know anything about the air raid offense, it generally doesn't use the tight end and they traded for Zach Ertz so that they could use a tight end and they found new and inventive ways to use a position that traditionally that offense doesn't use. But we're like not even pointing out, not even pointing out the fact that uh, they were running the ball fairly well at one point in time in the season, but they, they struggled to run it, struggled to find consistent running. And the Rams didn't have DeAndre Hopkins. So with a true number one, now all of a sudden your number two becomes your one and they're just not good enough. They're not winning. You don't have a great running game. And oh yeah, by the way, the Rams have a tremendous coaching staff, a tremendous team, and they kept Kyler Murray in the pocket. Do I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to take them to a Super Bowl? I do not. I do not. I've not been a huge buyer into ultimately that style of football. Not Cliff the guy, not Cliff his message, not how he relates to players, none of that stuff. I just don't think that offense in the NFL, that style is one that's conducive to winning in the National Football League. I'm not. I'm more of a traditionalist especially because even though everybody wants a mobile quarterback, when you get to the playoffs, when you have time to prepare, when you've seen an offense twice already this year, and really this, this, this coaching staff in LA has seen that offense. What is it now? That's like the seventh time you start to kind of figure it out. But the other part is all those running quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson included, Mike Vick included all of them in the playoffs. They, Colin Kaepernick after initial success they get limited because every team says how can we design a pass rush which makes you stay in the pocket and then you factor in that Kyler Murray is tiny Kyler Murray seemed completely overwhelmed he didn't have his security blanket to me the story is Kyler Murray and look I've been a Kyler Murray proponent going back to when he was at Oklahoma I was the guy who in October of his last year in college, I said, I know people think you make more money in baseball, but that's only if you get to free agency and you're one of the select few who get the 10, 12, 13-year deal worth $30, $40 million. And the likelihood is Kyler Murray is not that guy as opposed to being a starting quarterback in the NFL where your first four years, unlike baseball, you make real money and then your next four years, you make huge money. I was a proponent of Kyler Murray. But go back to what the knock is on him. He's tiny. He's a great runner. He does. The ball comes off like a rocket out of his hand. But he looked overwhelmed. 
He looked ill-prepared. He looked tight. He looked uncomfortable. He looked nervous. That would happen to you, too, if you had Aaron Donald and Von Miller, right? And you're on the road. And suddenly now, Rams fans decide, you know what, I'll show up for this one. These aren't excuses. This is just the truth. Yes, Cliff has to get better. Yes, it is just one guy. But when you build your offense around one guy, like they have with DeAndre Hopkins, which is smart, by the way, like on one hand, we criticize coaches for not getting the ball or using their star player, right, to their, to their benefit. It's like last night. How much did Cooper Cup do last night? How much did he do? Hardly anything. How much did Odell Beckham Jr. do? A lot. Do you know why? Because you double team Cooper Cup. And suddenly now they got a running game, which leaves Odell Beckham Jr. single covered. And if you're going to single cover Odell Beckham Jr., guess what? He's pretty damn good. It's not rocket science. It's football. Hey, you take away the, the team's best weapon on offense. Hey, and then the best weapon of the quarterback you take away, not letting him run. And then you hit him early. You get to him early. You make him play from a muddy pocket where he can't see and you get embarrassed. They got embarrassed. They got humiliated. Kyler Murray looked like a guy who, man, he can't play in the playoffs. Now, that does not mean his career is over. That does not mean he stinks in general. That does not mean you fire Cliff Kingsbury. But there's a different level of football once you get to week, what is it, 19 now. It's like there's a different level between once you get into the real games after preseason games and then after the fourth week when everybody figures it out and then once you get against your rivals and you play, like every level gets more intense, more pre- They take away the things you do. They make you play left-handed. The Cardinals got exposed. But like, w- what are we doing here if we're not pointing out that the Cardinals finished poorly when they didn't have J.J. Watt, granted, not the same guy as he used to be, but still a dude. Didn't have DeAndre Hopkins. I know they had J.J. last night, but he didn't do much. But down the stretch, they didn't. And going back to last year, Kyler was hurt. Does Cliff have to get better? Yeah. Using his stats at Texas Tech, to me, ends your discussion as you're just trying to point out you don't think he's a good coach. When the record of the team has improved every year. 5 to 8 to 11 in the best division in football. And though I'm really down on Kyler today, I don't think it's the end-all be-all. I do wonder what the heck happened to his confidence. Is it because he was hit early? Is it because they kept him in the pocket? Is it because it was Aaron Donald and Javon Miller coming off the edge? What was it? But he looked shell-shocked. He looked like a guy who was a college quarterback that couldn't play quarterback in the NFL, and I hadn't seen him look like that Really ever. He's had some bad games, but that one, he just, everything looked tight. Every ball was slightly off. And he just didn't look comfortable. And oh yeah, by the way, those guys on the other side of the football, like we've heard criticism of Sean McVay from, from some people. There's a reason that anyone who has come into contact with Sean McVay is now a coaching candidate. That guy, that staff, seem to kind of know what they're doing. So I watched the same game other people watched. I try and be fair about it. 
try to give you the true perspective of it. I was blown away by Kyler Murray, who reputation-wise, hey, look at what a great big game player he is going back to height, the, the, the winningest high school quarterback in Texas state history. And then this is a different game, bud. When they don't let you run around, you got to throw from the pocket. There's a, there's a, there's also a reason, right? That so many of these scouts have said little what size he's been little his whole life. Okay. Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. Those guys are exceptions. And oh yeah, by the way, go back when Russell Wilson was first in the playoffs. He wasn't throwing the ball 40 times. He was handing that sucker off. And they had the best defense in football. It's the reality of it. Okay. Drew Brees wasn't great his first four or five years. He was a charger. He was okay. Didn't have the arm strength. It's fine. There's a reason they drafted Phillip Rivers. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. The Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. I saw this story from uh, Bill Orm and Sam Amick, both working it in The Athletic. And I think, um, look, it, it really helps the story. First, both those guys, we had them on. I know them both a little bit. Bill's covered the Lakers for years. Sam, of course, covered the NBA for years. So I, it, it's one thing if it's one guy with one source or whatever. You got two guys. It's a real story. And it's a real thing. Uh, the Lakers beat the Jazz last night. And um, it was an interesting one. They led early, then they were down in the fourth quarter. They came back and held on for the win over the Jazz, who do have Rudy Gobert back. So you're not going to, and they're playing without Anthony Davis. Get to that in one second. If you're a valued customer, you deserve a simple gesture of appreciation from your credit card company. And that's why Discover matches all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. So here's the story. By the time the Lakers and the Jazz tipped off Monday, sources said Frank Vogel was coaching for his job after he narrowly avoided being fired in the wake of a 37-point home loss, I mean, excuse me, road loss in Denver 48 hours earlier. Had a scene like that repeated itself against the Jazz, many believe it would have been Vogel's last game. Now, Frank Vogel got a contract extension of sorts uh, before the season began. Remember, it was initially a three-year deal, and it was he was extended by two years. Most people believe there's not a lot of meat to it in that final year of the deal, so he's got one more year left after this. And in comparison to players' contracts, you know, if it's eight nine million dollars a year, Lakers can eat that. You can't eat the ninety million owed to Russell Westbrook. But uh, th- this thing is—I mean, look. He's going to get fired. You don't leak that story out unless it's ultimately going to happen. That story does not come out. Nobody's emotions or chili is running that hot unless, and Frank Vogel was a hell of a coach two years ago. He's not a worse coach now. He's not less invested now. There, there has not been a change in Frank Vogel's philosophy or style or ability to get LeBron James to work with him. Is it hard to coach LeBron? Yes, nearly impossible. Right? One, he's very bright. Two, he has so much respect around the league. And, and, and honestly, so many people who cover the league 
will not point out any of his flaws and is really hard when, you know, his best friend and agent who he works with represents kind of half the team, right? How do you keep everybody happy? And if you don't think that keeping their stars happy is important to the Lakers, take a look at who they added to the front of the bench this offseason. They moved Mike Pemberthy, who, of course, played for the Lakers up. He is Anthony Davis's guy. And they hired David Fisdale, who has a reputation of being LeBron's guy. Whether LeBron is really close with him or not doesn't matter. It's the perception. He was with LeBron in Miami. He's been a head coach. He did fill in when, when Vogel was out. But all this is covering for the fact that they screwed up. Between Russell Westbrook and his inability to shoot the basketball and make layups and make good decisions and parting ways with Alex Caruso, who would come back to the Lakers for less. And changing from a defense first team, that's why they won the championship two years ago, to one that can't guard a soul. And you factor in that Anthony Davis, stop me if you heard this before, is hurt. None of these things have anything to do with coaching, except maybe Russell Westbrook, who doesn't appear to be the most coachable lad on earth. Hey, I, I, you know, I'm allowed to turn the basketball over. I'm allowed to miss. Are you that tone deaf? I mean, think about it now. If coaching Russell Westbrook was easy, it drove Billy Donovan away from Oklahoma City. It drove Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni got fired. Scott Brooks, who's the champion of Russell Westbrook, got fired. And now maybe Frank Vogel. Think about it. His last two stops, he was there one year, and the coach got fired. Now, you can tell me triple-double, triple-double, former MVP, all you want. The only thing that matters is, is the team better off because you're on it. Stug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. We'll get to that. But let's talk with Charlie Weiss, who, of course was an unbelievable coordinator and offensive guru with so many of those New Orleans, uh, New England Patriot teams, head coach of Notre Dame. Uh, he, he was the head coach of Kansas and, of course, an assistant with the Kansas City Chiefs. And he's kind enough to join us here in the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Let, let, let's work backwards. Um, I, they, they're missing DeAndre Hopkins. But, man, was it me or did Kyler Murray look petrified of that pass rush? What happened last night to the Cardinals offense? Well, I mean, when you don't try to run the ball against a formidable defense, okay, you're already putting yourself at a big disadvantage because now that pass rush, all, all they have to do is pass rush. <clears throat> I'm, real, I'm very surprised that it wasn't a heavy dose of hand, hand the ball off in that game by Arizona to take some of the pressure off, especially early when – you know, when they were a slow, methodical onslaught was going on. And then as the game wore on, you know, the, as you watch the game, probably the thing that any, anyone and everyone could see is the body language from both the, the quarterback and the head coach was sending a bad message where it was going to be a long night. And you, you could tell at the end of the first quarter, you, you know, you could, it, you it could was over the bags by that time because that yeah. game was over. Okay, but so so why why do you think why would Kyler Murray's body language be so bad? Why would Cliff Kingsbury's body language be so bad? Was it just they they without DeAndre Hopkins they don't have the dudes they can't block those guys? Why? Because I, I noticed it as you, well. You never you never can you never can use an excuse 
of a good player not playing. I mean, the world we've been living in for the last couple of years, besides injuries, people lost guys to COVID left and right. I mean, so between injuries and COVID, you just got to expect the unexpected that, you know, you're going to lose some good guys. It's not a question of, you know, what you do, what, what you do with them. It's, it's what you do without them. And just life moves on. I mean, there's no reason for them. Look, at you watched when the score was 28-0. You watched them go down the, down the field and score that touchdown like it was no big deal. Now, you could say, well, the Rams are just playing, you know, playing soft coverage at that time. No, they weren't. The Rams were still playing hard. It's just that, you know, Arizona, you know, started being more efficient in what they, in what they did. They hand the ball off a few times for some big chunks. And next thing you know, you know, they, they go down there and get a touch on a two-point conversion. But the problem was, you know, it seemed like in the second quarter, they were already thrown in the towel on offense. Now, to be honest with you, their defense hung in there at the end of the second quarter because, you know, the Rams had good field position three drives in a row at the end of the second quarter, and they didn't come up with any points. Yeah. That game could have been, you know, forty-two to nothing at halftime. Yeah, it was. It it felt a lot worse than the actual score was. Charlie Weiss, uh, our guest on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio, um, you've been in this thing a long time. What's your assessment of what went wrong for the first? Before we get to the final play, what went wrong for the Cowboys? against the Niners. Obviously, you can't block Nick Bosa, but Dak was, was, was not sharp that game. What went wrong from an offensive schematics standpoint? Well, their offense has been shaky all year long. I mean, for a team that has, you know, a, a reputable offensive line with a couple of good running backs, with a very good quarterback, and a, and a solid core of receivers, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys have won a whole bunch of games this year because of their defense not because of their offense. So it should come as no great surprise that this game was no different. The problem I have more than anything else is their clock management several times this year, their clock management has been very questionable. And if you expect to win a game when you have 14 penalties, okay, when you, when you have 14 penalties, when you don't show up in the first half, and when your clock management uh, clock management is poor at the end of the game, I go shame on you. I I I go more into it, but I think you've said it. Let's get to the Patriots. Um, look, that you, you're playing without win, right? So you're playing without one of your tackles. That's not good. You got 20 years of beating down the Bills, and they're really good. That's not good. But there are going to be people that say, "Hey, look, we've seen the ceiling to Mac Jones, and." He's not going to be good enough once you get against the elite teams. What would you say about the Patriots and their performance in uh, in Western New York? I don't think Mac Jones is the problem, to be honest with you. I think that on offense, they're a, front, they're a, a, a number one receiver away from being really good on offense. I mean, I think the problem was their defense looked old and slow. And when's the last time you said that about a New, a New England Patriot defense? So um, I think they need to go get a number one receiver and then go spend the rest of their resources on getting younger younger and faster on defense. Yeah, uh, the last time we said that was when they played the Eagles, right? And they gave up 600 yards 
of offense, and then they revamped the defense in the offseason, and they went back to the Super Bowl and won it the next year, right? That was the last time we saw it. They, they tried to put a Band-Aid on it with free agents, and as people in the league tell me, it's like, look, free agency is a 33% hit rate. You're going to get some do- – there's a reason that guys are out in the market. Is that, is that a fair perspective on what happened to them? Yeah, yeah that's true, but how many teams would have taken, taken, done the same thing if they got them a Super Bowl win? Sure, no question. I mean, so, I mean yeah. – you know, there's different ways of looking at it. You know, sometimes it's a short-term fix, but if you win, what difference does it make? I mean, so so they had to bite the bullet for a year last year, and you know, take their beat, take their beat, and then now this year they got to ten and seven, they get knocked out. Okay, now you know, hey, look at we all know that Bill's a, an outstanding football coach, and no one knows defense better than him, and he'll know what they need to do. I mean, they need to get. They have a lot of tough decisions because you've got a lot of veterans that are towards the end of the career that have been the staple on their defense, but they're going to have to get, they're going to have to get younger and they're going to have to get faster. And you can expect that that's the route that they're going to take in this off season. What's your reaction to what happened with Brian Flores? Cause you were on with us in the preseason, you'd gone down and seen Tua, you were in on Tua. He apparently wasn't sold, but also it's some of the ways in which, he carried himself and dealt with Chris Greer. What's your reaction to Brian Flores being out uh, out of a job as of now? Well, my answer to that is there's two sides to every story. You know, from our from you and you and me, from an analyst standpoint, you say, okay, here's a team that won eight out of the last nine. I mean, how could they get rid of this guy when they had lost seven in a row and then they came back and won seven in a row, then they lost one and one one one, and then then they're out. Okay, so you sit there and look at look at them and say, well, you know, even, you know, how could they possibly let him go? But now there's the other side of the story. You've heard stories just like I've heard stories. Did he get in a big shout match with that with the quarterback at at, at halftime of the Tennessee game? If he did, did he do it in front of other people? Because if we're going to get in a shout match with the quarterback, that's okay. Don't do it in front of the team, though. I mean, that, you know, right. You That's, don't, you don't right. Do that, that. That, right. Because okay. that, under, that undercuts the, the, the quarterback's ability to lead. Right. It undercuts all your other relationships. Well, I, mean, it causes I don't people know take if some. that happened. I'm just I, right. I know. I, I got you. This, this, this is what I'm here. Right. I know that him and Chris Greer were boys when I was down there. I heard him and Chris Greer weren't talking at the end. So what is it? I mean, which side of the story you want to believe? Obviously, the truth lies somewhere in between. You know, so without knowing both sides of the story, I can't make a, you know, I can't make a definitive, hey, I can't believe they did that, you know, because I might if I knew the story saying, I can't believe he was there that long. I mean, uh, I, I just don't know the other side of the story. How, why is it that you believe, look, you, you took Notre Dame nearly, you know, nearly to the mountaintop, obviously lost that job, that's your alma mater. But it does seem like coaches are almost better off losing that first job. Bill, of course, lost his first job in Cleveland. What what is it like to have to learn from your own success and failure and lose that that first job? You know, the the worst part for me is I won right off the bat. I mean, I I go there and I'm there for two years. The first two years we go to BCS games. Right. Then I go to a third year, so I had a losing season. And now my one losing season was the third year. It was a real bad year. Then we're a little bit better the next year, and we we're better the next year. And now the thing had been rebuilt, but you're gone. But guess what? 
It comes with the territory. You know, you know I, I wouldn't have fired me, but the, I'm not the one making the decision. You know, what you do when you get let go from a place is you reflect on what would you have done different. Because you can't sit there and cry over the fact that they let you go. You have to say, okay, what, you know, what did I do? What did I do well? What did I not do well? And if, if given an opportunity, how would I do it better the next time? And that's it. I mean, you've got to be hardened in this profession, realizing that getting fired is more commonplace, especially today it's more commonplace. And today it happens even faster, as we know. So you just have to you have to learn from those experiences, and it should make you better the next time around, to tell you the oh, truth. Okay, help me out. You worked hand-in-hand hand with him, but you worked hand-in-hand with him like over 10 years ago. How is Tom still doing this at 44 years old? Well, he's mentally so so far ahead of the people he's going against. See, when you're coaching a quarterback, there's you, there's two ways you teach him how to you know how to you know attack the pass game. One is progression reads, and one is coverage reads. Progression reads when you have a guy who really can't figure out the coverages, you know, not pre-snap, but when they take their third step, when they take their five st- fifth step, you know, and they, you know, it's easy to read pre- pre-snap. You say, well, they're in cover three, but it's where are they when you're going to throw the ball? So there's a lot of quarterbacks you just teach progression. One, two, three, four, five. Throw it to one. If he's not open, throw it to two and, and progress. Other guys, when they uh, that can read coverage from the third step and fifth step, you you throw by coverage. Every once in a while, you find a guy that can do both. That's Tommy Brady, because when you can do both progression and coverage, you know now it's man playing with boys. And you watch him out there. That's what it looks like. You know, he knows what he's doing. It it looks like the offensive coordinator is the quarterback. That's what it looks like. It's amazing to watch. And that is a big, big advantage. Charlie, you're the best. I appreciate you joining us and giving us your insight. Thanks so much for being our guest. All right. Take care. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Mm-hmm. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcast live from Southern California. We're going to talk about Vegas. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Las Vegas. Greatest arena on earth. Every game, match, race, and competition. It is always on. No one does sports like Vegas. The excitement is endless. So make sure to plan your trip today at visitlasvegas.com. Um, so look, I mean, we're, if we're fully going to disclose things, and that's kind of, I think, the best way to do it. Um, Lee Mayock is our uh, booking producer. Is that booking coordinator, booking producer? I, I, I don't know the actual term. Lee's uh, talent coordinator. That's it. Talent coordinator. Okay. So... For example, Charlie Weiss, she goes through all the layers or whatever layers to make sure. And then she coordinates with Jason Stewart and all of the guests we have are because of her hard work. So Lee is the daughter of Mike Mayock. And what I love about Lee is not just that she's good at her job, but she's never been somebody who's like, hey, take it easy on my pop. Right. Like her dad is her dad. 
She has her, you know, it's like, that's kind of the way it works here. I, I, we do the same thing with, with friends of mine. You know, I, I can't like necessarily take it easy on people. I like if they do something wrong. And if it's somebody that I don't like, or I know isn't the greatest human on earth, but they do something. We, we try We play it straight down the middle here, but it does suck when somebody who, you know, through somebody else who you work with, who you like a great deal, loses their job. And that's what happened to Mike Mayock yesterday. But this is what I find to be fascinating, which is, um, you know, so Mike Mayock wasn't even told, like, didn't even know that he was going to get, they were doing all the planning and he lost his job. And it looks like they're not going to bring back Rich Passaccia either. And once you saw yesterday, the story that they were interviewing GM candidates, you're like, wait, they're interviewing GM candidates. They have a GM. How does that work? The, the, the Raiders are, their process is more than a little out of order, right? <laughs> you know, you don't start interviewing or request to interview a GM until you call in your GM and go, hey man, look, here's the deal. And you allow him to go and talk to everybody. And then they, so, but that's the Raiders. And, and what's amazing about it is we, we, do, we do a terrible job, I believe, in my industry of painting a picture of somebody simply based upon individual decisions, individual games, individual moments. When the truth is, it's about the totality of it, right? It's about the totality of it. Now, the reality is Mike Mayock lost his job because he was brought in by John Gruden and John Gruden's no longer there. But the other part of the reality is, and this is where it really stinks, you know, they had to get rid of one of his early draft picks and another early first round draft pick is in jail. And, you know, one of them did have some knocks against him in terms of off the field. Henry Ruggs, I, I didn't, there was, I, I asked five different teams front offices when the Henry Ruggs accident went down. Was any of this bag, was there any baggage with Henry Ruggs? All of them said no. There were no red flags. He was a small town kid who had been great at Alabama, the only thing that people had when they did their research was there's some guys from back home who didn't grow up in the greatest area that were hangers honors, and he wasn't somebody who cut off the hangers honors well enough. But none of it, like, he, he didn't have a drinking problem, they, they was DUI or anything, nothing. So is it fair? No, right? Are the Raiders better now than they were before he got there? Yeah. Did they hit every draft pick? No. Feel free, okay, to go back through and tell me every guy who hit on a draft pick. I'm waiting. You know? Uh, what's the cat's name? Lamp? Uh, that that uh, the Chargers drafted a couple years ago? Um, Forrest with, Lamp. Forrest Lamp. All-time great name, right? Go and look. The Chargers... Drafted Forrest Lamp. You know who went a couple picks later? Patrick Mahomes. Right? Now look, Tom Telesco is a is a friend of mine. We've had him on the show. And we've told you how great a job they've done. They drafted Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert is like, it, it, it's kind of a no-brainer. You can't say Tom Telesco without saying they got Justin Herbert. I don't know if they would have taken Tua if they had a choice between Tua and Justin Herbert. So some of it is luck. And some of it is like, am I drafting for what I need? Patrick Mahomes wouldn't have played at the time because they had Phillip Rivers. 
Rivers seemed to have two more years left. They thought they'd sit Mahomes for one. Like, there's all these different things. Go and look. Pick the other team. Who else has drafted well, right? Like, you got Sean McDermott as Josh Allen, right? Nailed it with Josh Allen. And they traded for Stephon Diggs, and that's great. They made plenty of other picks that stunk. He was the one who, didn't he play uh, uh, Peterman, right? Remember he, he put Peterman, uh, Nathan Peterman in as a rookie? Nathan Peterman was the first two. They had Terod Taylor, played Nathan Peterman, I think against the Chargers. And what do you have? Four interceptions in the first half? Something was just five. Five, yeah. five, intercept, five interceptions. The Nathan Peterman era started and ended all in the same game. So, again, we can hyper-focus on, ooh, that was, I don't think he got five, like, Mayock got fired for a dra- bad draft pick. Because you could say, hey, look, they trade away Khalil Mack. That was before he got there. They tra- to get two first-round picks. Okay, they didn't nail the, uh, they, they didn't nail some of their defensive players in the first two rounds. But they have one of the best pass rushers in football who they drafted in the third round. The way this business works is whatever ship you're tied to, when that ship sails, you go with it. That's how sports works. That's how business works. It's really, really, really hard to hang on and to be with the new regime. It's just, it's very, very, it's extremely unlikely. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, and you can tell me, but it's like John Snyder and Pete Carroll, those two are tied together, right? Tied together. And, you know, when when one comes in and has success with the other and they have a symbiotic and one loses a job, the other one's likely to lose his as well. So it stinks because... I have, I mean, Mike has always been really good to us and the Raiders without any question are better off now than they were before Gruden got there. There's, there's no argument. I will not listen to any, and I know it took kind of a miracle for them to get there, but a guy can't took a miracle because Gruden got fired and rugs, you know, and Darren Waller was hurt. Right. You know, it's like you can hold. A, a draft pick, Cleveland Farrell, against him. But then, do you give him any credit for getting a Darren Waller and, re- and, and being with him to kind of rehab his off-the-field issues and get him on the football field and make him into a star? But the, the Mayock story is one that is important for, you, for people to understand. We do a terrible job of telling you what's really going on. We make huge statements about this guy and that guy and one decision. He didn't get fired because Henry Ruggs got drunk and killed a lady in terrible, tragic, preventable accident. No, it's because Gruden got him fired. He was tied to Gruden. He was Gruden's guy. They worked together. Gruden gets fired for 10 years ago. Emails. That thing was was gone. And of course, Rich Passaccia can do the job. He's got great energy, great passion. The dudes love him, but owners are going to own, right? There's an expression in in professional sports, which is really important. Owners own. 
Right? Mike May, I can say, don't worry, I got this. We got the salary cap. Derek Carr's our guy. He's shown great leadership. We've rebuilt the offensive line around him. It's been better. We, we got to figure out now what to do without rugs, how, how to manage all this stuff moving forward. I got it. You know, we got Rich, who's not going to cost you a ton of You can save some money on Rich. The guys love him. He's, he loves doing the job. He'll be here every day. He can clearly do the job. We hire the best coordinators, the best D coordinator. He'll do the special teams as well. It works in Baltimore, right, where they have a special teams coordinator who became the head coach in John Harbaugh, and it worked. All that is great. <coughs> but you, you got an owner that he just wants splash hires. You got an owner that clearly doesn't care about, about having a conversation and allowing the proper goodbyes to be said. Right? If you don't think that name pop matters okay, to, to Mark Davis, well, hey, look around. In the WNBA, he just, I'm sure, overspent to go and get the highest paid coach in the WNBA who'd never, who hadn't coached in the WNBA. He's, why did he give John Gruden 10 years? One, he had to do it to get him out of TV and overpay him. But two, he wanted the name of John Gruden, who had been with the Raiders before. So that's why it went down. And it stinks. Because Lee's been Lee's wonderful to work with. And I know that people in football, Mike Mayock came in, and that's not easy. When you come off of TV and you got to go do a job, and you're though you've been covering the profession, like people give you no special treatment. A matter of fact, quite the opposite. And the Raiders are better now than they were previously. But owners own. And you tie your ship. And when that ship sails, you go out to sea.